Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips, and today we're going to be talking to Kat Mayer of the Terrace Valley Nature Reserve. But before then, I thought I'd cover some wildlife news. We'll start off with some bad news, I'm afraid. North Yorkshire Police, a couple of weeks ago, appealing for information about the death of some hen harrier chicks. Four chicks in a nest in North Yorkshire were stamped to death. And if you're thinking it's weird that there's chicks in December, the crime happened in June. But they took six months to ask for information, which is a bit weird. Well, I say it's a bit weird, but the police have waited a while before appealing for information in the past. And they also failed to mention that this crime took place on a grouse moor. So you can make of that what you will. That takes us up to 77 hen harriers that have gone missing or have been killed, according to Rat Persecution UK, a large percentage of which are on or near grouse moors. Moving on, the government have finally released their water targets and the targets of the New Environment Act. And unambitious is perhaps the most polite way of putting it. While we were still in the EU, the target date to have the majority of our waterways in good chemical and ecological status was 2027. And part of the improvement that this government has put forward is to push that back to 2063. That's 36 years later. What a complete and utter joke. It's an utterly pathetic target. Remember, this is in good condition, not excellent condition and pristine clear water. This is acceptable levels. And yet they've still pushed it decades into the future. So most of us won't even see the benefit. That's if there's any life left in our rivers by then. There are coastal resorts losing their blue flag. Our rivers are filling up with and Lake Windermere is going green because there's so much pollution in it. But they've decided we can wait till 2063. There's a whole lot more unambitious bits in the Environment Act announcement, but I'll cover that in a later podcast. But onto some good news. DEFRA are considering banning the fishing of sand eels, which are an important food source for puffins and kittiwake, in order to protect the population of these seabirds. So let's hope that goes ahead. A bit of bad news. Hampshire County Council have confirmed they will close and sell Titchfield Haven Nature Reserve Visitor Centre and Cafe, despite strong opposition from the local MP and thousands of people signing a petition against it. But the councils haven't been all bad. Manchester City Council have declared Kenworthy Woods in South Manchester as a local nature reserve. The site is a former tip that has turned into woodland and is near three other nature reserves, so should help form a nice area for nature and people to enjoy. And we mentioned the Wilder Bleen project, which includes releasing bison into a large enclosure. Well, they have now introduced a bison ball to complete the herd and hopefully start a breeding population. The plan is then to supply bison to other herds across the UK, creating a more natural habitat in other woodlands. But that's enough wildlife news for me. Let's get to the interview with Kat, which we recorded at the start of this month. I'm joined today by Kat. Hello, Kat. Hi. Kat, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people what you do and where you work? So I am the Education and Engagement Officer at the Terrace Valley Nature Reserve. We always start the show with our wildlife sightings. So as a guest, you get to go first. Have you had any interesting sightings recently in the last couple of months or so? So it was a while ago. It was over summer, but I did see two male hen harriers doing sort of a territorial display with each other. So they were flying around really close to the road, sort of chasing each other around, almost doing a sky dance. but with the two males instead of as a pair. And uh, yeah, that was just really exciting to watch. So obviously we had to pull over and try and film it and stuff for a bit. So good way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, sounds like it. Brilliant. I might have glimpsed a male once, but I've certainly never seen fighting or the sky dance. So very jealous of that. Mine is a, a little bit less, a little bit less spectacular. Mine is a flock of long tail tits that followed me home on the school run. So there's a hedgerow that runs parallel to the road on my school run 
and it ends up at the hedgerow that borders my garden. Walking along the road, I could hear them and see them fluttering along the hawthorns and the other bushes down there. And then as I looped around to my house, they were in my front garden, sitting there, chirping away at me. So that was really cool. Possibly saw a red kite on the way back from school today. So it was very distant, but it was flapping like a red kite. I couldn't see the towel to make sure if it was one, but I'm going to count it as a red kite. So that was really good. First, first one I've seen from, well, near enough my house anyway. It's certainly my hometown. Let's get on to why we're here. So... Taras Nature Reserve, where is it and what sort of habitats and stuff do you have there? We're based in southwest Scotland in Dumfries and Galloway, a few miles north of Carlisle. It was previously run as a grouse moor, but was purchased on behalf of the community over the last few years. So it's now being run as a nature reserve. We have a variety of different habitats. So we've got large areas of moorland. We have ancient woodland. We have most of the Taras River. So almost from the source to the mouth of the river. So we've got 10,500 acres and it's only recently been established as a nature reserve, but we've already got a lot of established habitats in place. We're just kind of looking at maintaining and improving it. Oh, fantastic. So you mentioned the community buyout. How did that all happen? So in 2019, the Duke of Buccleuch announced that he was going to be selling off large areas of land, particularly around the south of Scotland. And this included the Langham Moor. So once they'd heard of that, the Langham Initiative decided, which is the charity community development trust that I work for, that is the legal owner of the Terrace Valley Nature Reserve, they decided that they wanted to purchase the land on behalf of the community and run it as a nature reserve. So it was purchased in two parts. The first purchase went through in March last year, and around £6 million in total has been raised to purchase the two areas. So the purchase of the second area has only just gone through. We have legally owned it since the beginning of November. And yeah, now we've got 10,500 acres in community ownership. So where did the money come from? Because I remember there was a crowdfunding thing a few years ago. Is it Was it all from that or was there some other sources too? So for both buyouts there was a crowdfunding element and each time it's raised between 200,000 and a quarter of a million. We also received grants from the Scottish Land Fund and lots of private individuals as well. A few different sort of family trusts and that kind of thing came forward and donated large sums of money towards the buyout. We were also given a sum from the Woodland Trust on the terms that we would do a new woodland creation project. So we're working with them and looking at planting a new area of woodland on the reserve and increasing the tree cover as well. Really came from a a wide variety of different sources, but we were really happy with the way the crowdfunding worked because we got so much support. We think that did influence the larger donors as well and made them more inclined to actually donate to the project. Yeah, I remember there was quite a lot of publicity and a few people pushing it online. I think I put few quid in but one of them yeah it's all very exciting so the site is famous because it's been used as the almost like the base of a lot of science between grouse and hen harrows isn't it is it the langham moor that's why a lot of people might be familiar with the name yeah so there was the demonstration project which was looking at whether it was viable to run a economically successful grouse moor while 
conserving the hen harriers that were living on it. So they were doing things like supplementary feeding the hen harriers and obviously not shooting them while they were there. (laughs) It ran over a while, but because it's such a large scale project, it's quite difficult to replicate on a landscape scale. So the results were isolated to the Langham Moor rather than being replicated across different areas. And I think the results generally showed that you couldn't run a grouse moor while also preserving the birds of prey that were living on it without significant supplementary feeding and things like that. That's a nice little summary of what they found, I think. For now, we'll go past all this. Moving back to the reserve itself, what sort of wildlife are you finding there? So I mentioned the hen harriers, which are obviously a big draw for a lot of people because they are one of the most persecuted birds of prey and they're quite rare and you can get really, really good views of them. Like I mentioned, you can just drive straight through the middle of the reserve and see them displaying next to the road. But there's also lots of other bird species. So there's black grouse lex up there and there's the red grouse, which are across the moorland. There's wading birds such as curlew. And then the migratory species such as cuckoos and things like that. So bird-wise, there's loads of different species. We also caught otters on our trail cameras, which was really exciting. There's things like salmon in the river. And we also, we've been surveying for like baseline levels of wildlife that are on the reserve as, as it's being established. And we've had experts come out and look at mosses and bryophytes. So we have a couple of hundred different species of mosses and bryophytes, which is exciting and lots of other sort of invertebrates and plants and things that people don't necessarily come to the area to look at, but we already have quite high biodiversity of these species. So you've got the reserve now, you've got the land. What are the plans going forward? We are currently looking at developing our action plan for the management of the reserve, but our main objectives are sort of split into conserving the wildlife, helping towards climate action, making sure the project is sustainable, both environmentally and economically, and also work doing things on making sure it works for the community as well. So we're looking at habitat restoration and creation projects and sort of maintaining the landscape, removing invasive species such as the six spruces moving in from neighbouring forestry, restoring the native habitats, doing woodland creation projects to increase the diversity of the habitats within the reserve. We're also looking at different enterprises such as sustainable ecotourism, looking at like rural crafts and training events. We're hoping to set up a volunteer bunkhouse and a field study center as well. So we're really trying to diversify the different source of income within the reserve as well, rather than just relying on one industry. Yeah, so we're just really trying to focus on, well, (laughs) it's less focused because it's really quite diverse what we're actually trying to achieve. So it is first and foremost a nature reserve, but there is also the community aspect of that. And we're working very closely with like school groups and our volunteer groups come out and we want the community to have an input into how the land is used. Yeah, I think that's very important that you get the community involved in these things to help support it and look after it, really. I mean, it's their landscape at the end of the day, I suppose, without being too preachy. And Yeah, that's definitely true. It's like a historically very culturally important land as well. So there's the common riding event that takes place every year. And now the, mark- the boundaries that are being marked out for the common access land are now owned by the community. There is a lot of cultural importance to the land and we want to make sure we're not just trying to take it over in any way. Your job there is running the education. What sort of things do you get up to in your role? So we have groups from the local schools coming out onto the reserve. 
So we've run John Muir Awards and had them come out on repeated visits doing different activities. They've done things like tree planting and bug hunts, stream dipping. And then there's also sort of an aspect of more outdoor education, forest school type activities. So den building, fire lighting, that kind of thing. But the main focus is on the environmental education. So learning about the land and the wildlife and how everything interacts with each other, what habitats and species there are there. I also work with our volunteer group and coordinate the group coming out onto the reserve, doing practical conservation tasks, as well as things like wildlife surveys. And the volunteers also sometimes help with uh, things like the environmental education stuff. There's also a lot of community engagement involved. So going to the local market and hosting drop-in events. So it's just a lot of engagement and working with different groups across the community. That sounds like a nice role listeners to the podcast will know that I'm a big fan of freshwater life and do similar sort of stuff to you my job although in perhaps not quite as impressive a landscape but I've got to ask a very nerdy question which is when you do the stream dipping what sort of creatures are you finding I imagine it's a lot cleaner water than I deal with down here in Essex we get sort of the standard river species so things like stonefly mayfly so lots of invertebrates we had a bio blitz event and we had ellie culver who i think has been on the podcast before oh, yeah. actually had ellie, yeah. so she came along and ran a stream dipping event looking for dragonfly larvae unfortunately they didn't really find any it wasn't quite the right time of year for it but like i said there's also things like the salmon living in the river it wasn't in the terrace, but it was in Langham itself. We found an eel when we were stream dipping with a school group. So that was quite exciting because it was much bigger than anything else we'd pulled out of the river. <laughs> so yeah, that was quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's much the same really. So find like freshwater shrimp and like I say, the stoneflies and uh, dragonfly larvae and things like that. As there's lots of moorland and bog up there, I imagine you're doing a bit of peatland restoration and stuff like that. Yeah, so we're working with Peatland Action to establish how much peatland coverage there actually is across the reserve. But there are significant areas that do have deep peat. So in these areas, we're obviously not going to be planting trees. We are going to be doing peatland restoration. So that includes things like blocking up the ditches that are quite significant across the landscape. I think it was described by an expert as one of the most efficient sets of ditches they'd seen, which sounds like a brag, but is actually a bad thing. (laughs) So this land, it used to be really, really boggy but has been drained mainly for shooting and access to the land. So now it's dry moorland rather than the peat bogs. So we're looking at, like I say, blocking up the ditches and allowing it to naturally re-wet and form more of a bog ecosystem, which will hopefully also reduce fire risk, especially as it's getting hotter and there's higher risk of wildfires on dry landscapes like that. So hopefully it'll improve both biodiversity. It'll mean that the land is more efficient at storing carbon as well. So it'll help towards the climate action objectives we've got. And yeah, like I say, also hopefully reduce risk of fires up there as well. Bogs are a very underrated habitat. I think it's some studies it comes up higher than woodland at storing carbon, doesn't it, Pete? It, it's yeah, good. I think... It is the most efficient habitat at storing carbon. But I think in the UK, more of the peatland is actually a carbon source than a carbon sink because of how degraded all of the habitats are as they've been dried or just destroyed. So we're looking at increasing the amount of carbon that the land can store. So you mentioned you're doing a lot of woodland planting. It sounds like with the Woodland Trust. Can you tell us what species you're planting and how that's going? So at the moment on the reserve, it is primarily birch woodland across a lot of the areas. 
we do have like ancient alder down by the river and we also have veteran oak trees in part of the woodland as well. So what we're really trying to do is diversify this with more native broadleaf species. So we've already been planting things like rowan and hawthorn and holly and oak trees. We've just set up a tree nursery as well, which currently holds 30,000 seedlings of, I think, birch, rowan, alder, and willow. And this is to kind of kickstart our woodland creation projects, but we are hoping going forwards to be using more of our own seed stock from the reserve. So over autumn, we were out with the volunteers collecting oak acorns from the veteran oak trees within the reserve. So we planted just under 700 acorns, which we will hopefully be able to grow and plant out onto the reserve as well to contribute to that. And then, like I say, going forward, we're hoping to use more of our own seeds from the reserve to diversify. But because at the moment, there's not as much diversity as we'd like. We're supplementing with ones from the right, like they're all from the right seed zones and stuff. I'm guessing from your answer at the start of this podcast that your favourite sighting you've had since you've worked there is the hen harriers, but what would be the next most favourite? I think seeing the cuckoos quite regularly over summer. So there were times when I was talk like mid-flow talking about birds to a group of school kids and then actually mentioned a cuckoo and then one actually no it happened twice that one showed up just as I was talking about it actually so that was brilliant timing both times but yeah the novelty hasn't really worn off because I never really saw any well I'd only seen them once or twice in the past so getting to see cuckoos just sort of sat in the branches next to the road just most times when I drove through the reserve over summer was absolutely brilliant very exciting oh they are fantastic birds I do love cuckoos and I've been very spoilt because there's a very tame cuckoo in Surrey for the last five, six, seven years has been coming down to within, I think I got within about six foot of it once when I was putting a post up for it. It comes down to mealworms and stuff. So it's oh, all wow. very ridiculous. You know how shy cuckoos are. It's, it's absolutely insane. But I still love seeing them at work, especially when we have got a bunch of kids because most kids, even if they don't know what a cuckoo looks like they've heard of the cuckoo haven't they so it's something you yeah can, you can reach them with we and had... they've got quite an interesting story as well exactly. it's not yeah. um, sort of the same as the other birds that they're seeing now we did a podcast on cuckoos which is absolutely fascinating to hear about their various antics so if you haven't listened to that one guys go and check that out that is a good episode well i think cuckoos is a good place to finish actually because they're such a good bird so if people want to visit terrace nature reserve is it open to the public now yeah so because it's in scotland there's the right to roam anyway hmm. so it is all publicly accessible and it is it's worth if you want to visit the area it's worth getting in touch all of our details are on our website which is the langham initiative website but it would come up if you google terrace valley nature reserve as well just to ask about parking and stuff because at the moment we don't have the infrastructure in place and we are looking at sort of more visitor facilities and things but yeah it's all open to explore you can go wherever you want to cross the reserve so yeah i highly encourage everyone to make a visit <laughs> uh, i really must get up there and go and see all the stuff because it just sounds so lovely up there and it's great to see like a landscape being restored to what it should be rather than you know we keep seeing on the news everything being destroyed it's good to see something going the other way so where can people find out about the reserve and find you online have you got an online presence on social media and stuff too yeah we're on facebook twitter instagram tiktok i think and youtube so we're handle on all of them is some variation of terrace valley nature reserve so yeah give us a follow that'd be great <laughs> Thanks again for coming on. and Thanks for inviting me. That was a great interview with Kat. 
I hope you all enjoyed it. Certainly brought me some hope for the future. Hope you all had a good festive season. And I wish you a happy new year now from both me and Vic. And we look forward to bringing you some new episodes in the new year. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, all one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.